0: Folks, we're turning to God's Word now, and we're going to be reading this morning from Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 17 to 26. That's Luke 6, 17 to 26. And Barbara McBride will be reading and leading us in the reading of God's Word. And then Ken will come and preach for us. Thank you.
1: The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 26, from the NIV translation. He went, or as Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Amen.
0: Well, thank you to my wife for doing the Bible reading, and thank you to Gareth and Gary and to to those who have welcomed me here to uh, Orangefield this morning. As you watch and listen at home, uh, I have to say for 32 years, I agonized every year as to who on earth I would invite to speak for Anniversary Sunday. Not once in those 32 years did I think that I would be the answer to Gareth's agonizing, Uh, but it's really good to be with you uh, today. Forgive me if I give a little bit of history, because I know many of you are new to uh, the church. Uh, This is your 86th birthday, Uh, And with all that's been going on, it must be surely one of the strangest birthdays that we have had. The work began here on the 11th of March, 1935, in a wooden hall on the Orby Street side of our grounds, probably close to where I'm standing now. Uh, And then the church added a brick church uh, in 1939 that eventually became the church hall, roughly where Ark Cafe is now. And there is perhaps an anniversary that many of you are unaware of, because the first six years of Orangefield, we had three ministers who worked for a short time each in establishing the work of the congregation. And it's in fact 80 years since Orangefield became a full congregation of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. This is because we started off as a church extension cause. And it took those six years to become sustainable and to be able to call our own ministers. So, the first minister, the Reverend Malcolm Park, was called and started work here on the 10th of February, 1941. And the reason I mention this is because Orangeville, to my knowledge, is the only congregation of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland that gave back to the denomination the money that was given to it originally to cede the church. Uh, And uh, as far as I know now, no other congregation has done that. And the attitude of our forebears at that time was God had blessed them so much. There were others who needed the money more than them, so they gave back that money uh, to the Presbyterian church. And I believe that attitude has resulted in blessing down through the years. A new church, the, the main bit of what we're standing in this morning, was built and opened on the 6th of September, 1957. The halls complex out to my left uh, with the two-story extension was added on the 3rd of September, 1971, linking uh, everything through to the original church that became the church hall. Uh, And then this new complex, as Gary mentioned earlier, was uh, opened in 2008, When we opened this building, we gave the opening offering uh, to a cause in uh, Kenya, in Kusumu, in western Kenya. Twenty thousand pounds that was uh, raised in that offering amounted to something like two million Kenyan shillings and enabled, I think, about half of the money required to rebuild a church in Kusumu in western Kenya in that spirit of our forebears. We wanted to say to God, thank you for what you've given to us, but we also want to use it as an opportunity to help others. In fact, Barbara reminded me of a verse from later on in the passage that she read, Luke 6 and verse 38, where Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured To you. There's a huge amount to celebrate in Orangefield's history, not least the amount we've given to mission at home and overseas in terms of money, but also in personnel, and the amount that we've given to the two thirds world of money and personnel as well. But especially in seeing people coming to faith in God uh, and to grow in that grace of God, the Holy Spirit, has been a really special thing. These days of lockdown will pass, and you will continue to write the story of God's good news and grace to a sinful world, as in fact you're doing in these difficult days. So, happy 86th birthday, and happy 80th birthday to Orangefield. Let's pray before we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the powerful words of Jesus that Barbara read for us earlier, and we pray that as we come to think upon them together now. You would help us, teach us, and enable us to hear your voice and to respond to that voice. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So, the passage we're looking at today is, in a sense, a potted version of the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And here and look, there are some similarities, some differences But Jesus, in effect, outlines four blessings followed by four woes or warnings. But think of the context of the words of Jesus in his teaching. Luke tells us of the amazing work of Jesus, and and let me read, if I may, verses 17 to 19 again of chapter 6. He, that is Jesus, went down with them and stood in a level place, a large crowd of the disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch Him because power was coming from Him and healing them all. It's an incredible picture, isn't it? this crowd gathered together for two reasons. Firstly, to hear what Jesus had to say, and secondly, to be healed from their illnesses and delivered from being, as Luke says, touched or troubled by evil spirits. I find it fascinating that the healings came before the teaching. The people came to hear this teacher, but what did he do? He healed. And that incredible scene in verse 19, is something that really spoke to me. The people all tried to touch Him because power was coming from Him and healing them all. Isn't that incredible? Jesus simply completely healed everyone who desired it. Isn't that awesome? Does it make you want to yearn for more of the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life and in the church? in me. But here's the thing, Jesus gave authority and power to the words that He said by the things that He did. And then His teaching, then as now is revolutionary and stretching. I listened to Garth's talk last week about baptism, the baptism of Jesus. I have to say, it's the best talk on baptism I've ever heard. So, if you missed it, by all means, give it a, a listen and go back uh, onto YouTube and pick it up. I not only agreed with what Gareth said, but it brought me hope and reoriented my eyes towards the cross of Jesus and the promise of God. But part of what Gareth said was that the baptism of Jesus was an authentication of who He is, but also, I quote, a demonstration of the life He was calling His followers to step into. I love the series that you've been doing that the story we live in is the story that we live out. In fact, Jesus taught in such a way as to turn the thinking of the world upside down. But given this remarkable ability to heal, to perform miracles, it's a reminder that there's power and authority in the words of Jesus that we ignore at our peril. Now, we have a lovely world to inhabit. It's beautiful and amazing in its geography, its flora and fauna, and in its people. The, the people of our world have managed to come up with amazing achievements over our history. In many ways, what humanity has managed has been unbelievable. But I wonder have you been following Life and Colour on the BBC, the current series uh, from David Attenborough? It, it's a beautiful and utterly amazing series but in our wildlife programs and in magazine series like Country File, it's increasingly obvious that all is not well with our world, that climate change, for example, is an inescapable fact of the 21st century life that we live. The story we live in is a world that is fallen and warped, and there's something quite wrong with it. Let me jump from that to a question. Do you like picture puzzles? Well, hopefully up on screen will come a picture of what's known as the Penrose Steps or the impossible staircase. This kind of genre was, was taken on by the artist M.C. Escher, who uh, eventually provided very incredible pictures, all of that same kind of principle. When you look at a picture like that, you think immediately on first glance that it's, it's, it's fine, a series of steps. But then when you look at how they they work, and they keep going up and up and up and up, and you realize it's an impossible staircase. It's a bit like the world that we live in. We look at the world around, and it looks great. But the more you look at the world, the more you realize that something is out of kilter, something is wrong. And indeed, we recognize it's what the Bible calls sin. Creation is being destroyed by human greed and the insatiable desire for more and more stuff. I don't know about you, but one thing I didn't answer in the question that Gareth asked me earlier was in terms of lockdown. One of the things I've been discovering is how much money I spend on things I don't need. I've become one of those accidental savers that actually we're not using the car as much. We're not going out as much. We're not spending money on stuff that we really don't need. And, and so, we understand that the world has been destroyed by people's greed and insatiable desire for more and more stuff. But people are also destroying each other. There's racism and sectarianism, truth decay in, in what has been called alternative facts, selfishness, greed, and so many things that remind us that the world we look at is out of kilter. These are the universal effects of sin. And and into this warpness, into this upside downness comes Jesus, whose teaching itself seems to be upside down. And I suggest His teaching is upside down, but only because we're looking at the world the wrong way. But like the Penrose steps, it seems an impossible situation that Jesus is teaching something here that seems in many ways to be crazy. You see, the world tells us that being rich, being well-fed, carefree, and popular is the epitome of human existence. But no, says Jesus, the opposite is true. It's those who are poor, who are hungry and sorrowful and hated that are truly blessed and happy. Those words are increasingly crazy to the world as they hear Jesus saying them, but they are backed up with one who healed and who had power coming from Him, and then say these seemingly crazy things. So, let's look at the four blessings and woes that Jesus came out with in His teaching here. And I should say that the four groups do not seem to be distinct categories of people, but as Daryl Box says in his commentary, they're elements of one portrait describing those for whom God has compassion. So, who does God have compassion for? First of all, the poor. You can read about that in verse 20, and the rich are compared, in verse 24 we will come to that later on. I think there's a little difference between Matthew's account and the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about those who are poor in spirit, and here Jesus talks about the poor. And I think he's talking about the materially poor. And I think that because the contrast is given with the rich in verse 24. I wonder, why on earth should the materially poor feel blessed or fortunate? Some of us tend to think that those who are financially well-off are somehow more blessed by God than those who haven't a penny to their name. I grew up in a culture where if people did well, if they drove a good car, if they had a good house, people said, God has blessed them. Uh, And yet the people who were unemployed, who were poor, who had very little of the world's good, there was a kind of underlying attitude in some people's minds, maybe they've done something wrong and they're not being blessed by God. But Jesus says that's absolutely false in terms of how you look at the world. Verse 20, he says this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The poor are the people the world looks down on. The poor are the marginalized, the poor are the dispossessed, the poor are the people that the world treats as trash. And Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In this crazy upside-downness of the gospel, or the right-side-upness of Jesus, if you like, the poor are spiritually advantaged high on earth, because poverty fosters dependency, and reliance upon God. I often say from this platform that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, and you have a few hundred thousand pounds in savings, that's one thing. But when you have no savings, and when you've lost a job, and you pray, give us this day our daily bread, it means a whole different kettle of fish. And for the rich, Jesus says in verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, obviously, the Bible tells us that being wealthy isn't the problem. Many characters in the Bible were fabulously wealthy. There are many modern day examples, and I love the story of Robert Gilmore Letourneau, who died in 1969. He was a prolific inventor of earth moving machinery. And he made a deal, as it were, with God. He said, Lord, if you bless me, I will give an increasing amount of my salary to your work and to your kingdom, uh, and I will honor you and do my best to serve you. And he ended up giving 90% of his salary and company profits to Christian work and lived off 10%, but still became fabulously wealthy, and among other things, founded a university Uh, of His name in Texas. When the Bible criticizes the rich, it's often in the context of them oppressing the poor, depriving them of justice, being greedy and exploitative. Such people say, Jesus already have the comfort they will receive. And as we know, the cliché is very true, you cannot take your money with you when you die. So, Jesus said, blessed are fortunate are the poor who have learned to depend on the Lord for everything. The second group of people are the hungry and the well-fed. And let me read, if I may, verse 21 and the first part of that verse. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. The poor are are often also hungry. How can the hungry be blessed? This is the upside-down teaching of the gospel. We can see the contrast between the hungry and well-fed and the prosperous nations of our world, especially in the West that we live in. We have a problem in Western society with obesity. It puts stress on the health service. It puts stress upon personal well-being and impoverished nations or societies or those where only the rich are plump and well-fed. So, why on earth are the hungry blessed? Because they have an invitation to God's banquet. I love that. if you have time later, read Luke's account of the great banquet, chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. In the story, many people made feeble excuses for not attending the great feast that they'd been invited to. And so the host of the banquet sends his servants out into the roads and the country lanes inviting everybody they could find. We learn from Jesus and his teaching that the poor, the hungry, the dispossessed, the marginalized, those who are of little account in the eyes of the world are all invited to the banquet of King Jesus. And in contrast, in Luke 6 and verse 25, The first part of that verse, let me read that for you. Jesus says, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. The implication is that those who are satisfied with plenty but pay no attention either to the giver of all good gifts or to those who are poor will eventually miss out on God's banquet altogether. And here's the point. If God cares for If God has compassion on the poor and the hungry, then the church must also. If the story we live in is a world in need, then we must live out, being God's hands, God's feet, God's voice, to and for the marginalized and with the marginalized of society. Let's look at the third group of people that Jesus mentions, the sorrowful and the carefree. And let me read verse 21 and the second part of that. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are fortunate, almost lucky are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I wonder who amongst us has never cried. I wonder who amongst us has never felt sorrow for a child of our own, or maybe a child we saw coming up on our youth organizations who's gone off the rails and turned their back on God? Who amongst us has never felt the sorrow of betrayal, of being let down, of being at the receiving end of some injustice or harmful gossip or foul comments on social media? Who amongst us has not felt sorrow for the rampant sinfulness in the world, even at times in our own lives? There are, however, those who seem to be carefree, They aren't weighed down by the problems or concerns that many of us have. They don't seem to have to struggle through life. Interestingly, such people often, not always, but often, seem to have very little or no compassion or empathy for those around them. Well, Jesus says, All they have is all they will ever get. And in verse 25, the second part of that verse, Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Do you remember the story Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus? Again, Luke's gospel, chapter 16 and verses 19 to 31. Read it later if you have time. The rich man and the beggar Lazarus both die, but the rich man is separated from God and sees beyond an insurmountable chasm the poor man Lazarus being comforted in the bosom of Abraham read the story. I haven't time to go into it all, but the rich man can't get any comfort. And he's told, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted and you're in agony. Well, he knew that. And when he couldn't get comfort for himself, he asks that someone would warn his brothers that they might repent, but he's told they had all the revelation that they need. He had lived a carefree life, He had ignored the needs of the poor man at his table. The carefree will truly mourn and weep. And the last group of people that Jesus mentions are the hated and the popular. We'll read those verses later, but verses 22 and 26 uh, relate to that. I think we all have a strong desire to be liked, don't we? To be honest, do you count the number of likes you get on the post that you put on social media, and do you compare the number of likes that your friends receive? Do you look at friends in social media and think, how can someone have over a thousand friends and I've only got five? It seems very meager. And of course, we not only all want to be liked, but many of us will struggle with things like rejection. But beyond that, we know that when we take a stand for Jesus, we often are met with cynicism, perhaps opposition, and maybe even at times hatred. You see, the truth is the world hates Christian values. And when we stand up for those Christian values, it will create a dissonance with the world, and will create feedback that will not always be positive and very often will be negative. Those who court popularity say Jesus will one day get their comeuppance. Verse 26, Woe to you then when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. In the Old Testament times, they loved false prophets. They said, come and tell us the word of the Lord, and the false prophets would come, and they'd tell the rulers how great they were and how wonderful they were, and they they told them all the things they wanted to hear. Jesus said, Woe to you, and all men will speak well of you, for that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. And he would tell us today that we need to cultivate faithfulness over popularity. I've often said from this platform that our responsibility, and let me put it in the context of the series that you're doing in Orangefield, our responsibility in living in the world with all its issues that affect us is to live out the reality of living and working to an audience of one. God's opinion of us is the only like that really counts. And when you're doing your best in work, when you're doing your best at home, when you're doing your best in COVID for homeschooling and keeping in contact with friends over Zoom or whatever it might be, whenever you're doing all the things that you're doing, There's only one audience that really counts, and that is God Himself. Popularity is not something that Jesus encourages us to go for. We we are to live to please Him. We are to live to serve Him and not others, and certainly not the world. As soon as they hear saying and teaching things that they don't like that are unpopular will turn against us. When that happens, Jesus said, Verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. See, these words of Jesus that are upside down as far as the world is concerned, but I think right side up as far as God's truth is concerned, they're all about our inner attitudes as disciples of Jesus. And the principle, I guess, is this, the negative circumstances of our lives present doorways to blessing. If the story you live in is one where there is difficulty with money or difficulty with providing for your family and all that we need, if the story, the life that you live in is of increasing opposition to the things that you teach and say, if the story of your life is having sorrow and problems and difficulties. Jesus says, I can come and transform these situations so that these things become doorways to blessing in your life. I want to, if I may, just get a Bible from behind me. It's a different version of the the Scripture that we've been reading from using the NIV. It's uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message. And as I want to try and sum up what I've been saying, I actually think that Peterson's translation of the passage you read is very helpful. So, as we come to a conclusion, I'd love, if I may, to read this. You may want to close your eyes as I read these verses, and then I'll move into prayer to help us to respond. But I hope that this fresh translation will help you just understand what, indeed, Jesus has been teaching. "'Coming down off the mountains with them, he stood on a plain surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their ailments.'" those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him, so much energy surging from him, so many people healed. Then he spoke, "'You're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely.' joy comes in the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do and all heaven applauds, and I know that you're in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. Let's continue to pray. Lord, we live in an upside-down world, and the more we look at it, the more we realize that the Bible's diagnosis of the world that sin is the cause of all our problems and issues, is true. And Father, it may be that we've had a rose-tinted, spectacled idea of Christianity, that we'd have no problems and no difficulties, and that everything in the garden would be rosy. Yet the reality is that the story we live in, is a times of concern and anxiety over money and food, over weeping for the things that are difficult in our lives, over popularity and the things that people may think of us. And we, we come today to these words of Jesus. And he said, Blessed are you when you live in a story where everything is difficult and where there are problems. Blessed are you because these are doorways to a deeper experience of me, doorways to a new life with new priorities. And just as we come this morning, I wonder, has God been saying anything in particular to you? Take a moment, just in a moment of quiet, to Bring to God anything that's touched your heart, and if there's a response that you need to make this morning, take this moment of quiet to turn to Jesus. God, we confess that your words are hard to understand. Blessed are the hungry, the poor, the sorrowful, the hated, the unpopular. And yet, Father, You come and You offer us banquet. You offer us an invitation into a fuller, deeper life. You offer us a life that when we feel despair, we understand that You are deeper still, when we feel a need, Your grace and Your mercy and Your power are more than able to supply what we need. And I pray, Father, that You would help us to understand that the things that come into our lives that are negative, that are difficult, that cause us stress and distress, can be your opportunities to live out the gospel in a countercultural way that speaks to the world of the power and the majesty of Jesus, our healer, our Savior, our Lord. So, help us, Lord, to renew our trust in you. In this upside-down world, help us to realize that it's you and your values that are actually right side up, for which we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.